0: Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Um, Hey, I I also just wanted to say too, um, thanks again, Joe, for being with us. Um, That was awesome. And as Joe was saying, so he works for a group, a ministry called RYM, Reformed Youth Ministries. Uh, some of you might have gone to RYM conferences growing up. Um, we've had interns, uh, our, uh, Margaret Duran, who's my admin assistant, her, her real full-time job is working for RYM. So it's just a really special ministry. And Joe is really involved in recruiting interns. So they have interns, if you went to like our RUF Beach Week last year or summer conference in the past, they just do that all summer long at the beach and up in Colorado and things like that. So if you're at all interested in spending your summer serving middle school and high school students at the beach and in the mountains, um, talk to Joe after. He would love to get you more information about that. Um, okay, so we, we're we at the end uh, of our sermon series on Genesis. And again, just to repeat, like, why... Why are we doing this? Well, this first little part of the book of Genesis, a lot of people say that really the entirety of the Bible kind of finds its foundation and just is an unraveling from these first 11 to 12 chapters of Genesis. That in this chapter, we really get the story kind of in uh, in like a tightly packed, concentrated Way And so this is God's story. It lays the foundation for our story. At least that's our hope, is that you come more and more to see that the Bible, for all that it is, it's a lot of things. But chiefly, it is a story. It's God's story. It is yours. Um, all right, so we're going to be uh, starting Genesis chapter 11, verse 10. You can follow along up there in your bulletin, in your Bible. And this is God's word for you. Let's read. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachid two years after the flood. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Lot went with them. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Um, okay, so when we just think about the things that are just in the culture you know, just things that are just in the air we breathe. Ideas like the things that people just kind of take for granted, just assume. I think one of the things floating around out there uh, is this idea of needing to find your purpose in life, right? Like, what is what is my purpose? And there's this sense, right, that we are all these kind of independent self-determining people, so is everyone else. And like, that's a thing. That's a thing we need to do. It's like, I need to discover who I am, what I'm for, what's my purpose. And that kind of comes in the form of, hey, you can do anything you set your mind to, follow your dreams, follow your heart, right? Like every, the theme of every Disney movie that exists. And on the surface, there's something about that that feels kind of right. But in practice, I think there's actually a lot of stress and burden on that, too, right? Like, what if I don't do the right thing? What if I get my purpose wrong? What if I, like, screw it up? Uh, There's a part of a Fleet Foxes song. It's called Helplessness Blues, the song is. I think it actually taps into some of that experience. And it goes like this says, I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake, distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way, you can see. And now after some thinking, I'd say, I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery, serving something beyond me. But I don't know, I don't know what that would be. I'll get back to you someday soon, you'll see. Do you resonate with that at all? I, th- I think to some degree you do, and you know why is because I think there's a reason why maybe you came here, or the reason why you love being an Aggie, because to be an Aggie is actually to tap into something like a purpose that is bigger than you are, and like people actually find a lot of energy and joy um, in in actually tapping into this like this big thing called Aggie, being. and. Um, I think what I want us to see in our passage tonight is that God actually has a plan. And he has a purpose that he is working out in the real world that you and I live in. And he works it out in the lives of real living and breathing human beings. Um, and he is asking us to actually step into a purpose that he has. To actually be cogs in a machine bigger than ourselves. And that's actually a beautiful thing. So here at the end of our sermon series on the book of Genesis, right, that's just what I was thinking about. We've, look, we've been spending this whole semester on thinking about the story, the big story of the Bible that we see unfolding here. I want us to see that God, God's story is a kingdom story. And it's a kingdom plan for the world. God has a kingdom plan for you. That you're actually supposed to enter into this story and plan. Of God. So what does that entail? What does it look like to enter into God's story, God's purpose? There's two things. I think it means, one, leaving. And two, it means receiving. So leaving and receiving. First, leaving. So, so far in Genesis, we've tracked this progression down through time of this family line. Where God, he starts off with Adam and Eve. And after the fall, he gives his promise. That there is going to be this seed, this family line that comes and traps down out of Eve of all these people. this the seed of the woman that are clinging to and holding to this promise that one day, one day someone's going to arise from this line to crush the head of Satan, crush sin, crush death, crush just all the cursed things that we just have to eat and take on the chin Every single day, right? We have shame. People disappoint us. People are selfish. Like we just feel in our bones just this self-destructive tendencies. Despite knowing better, we still lean in. Right? Like we're trapped in unhealthy stuff. Just all that, et cetera, et cetera. It has been promised that somebody is going to come and set us free from that. And so, here in our passage, uh, we see that that covenant promise line uh, focused in squarely on this guy named Abram and he gets renamed a little bit later in the Bible Abraham so we'll just we'll go with that for simplicity's sake it um, starts so with Abraham we get this focused intensification of God's purpose of God's plan in the world as it's coming down the pipe we're saying okay boom seed of the woman kingdom thing is getting amped up in this guy. Abraham. Okay? So how does Abraham step into this? To do so, God commands that Abraham, kind of, you know, kicking back in his cozy comfiness of his father's house, God asks him to leave. Leave. You have to leave this. You have to leave this so that you can enter into something else, my plan, my purpose for your life. Um, and look, I always want to be careful and kind of explain this well when I talk about Old Testament and Old Testament figures, because the message of the Old Testament is not necessarily, "Hey, go be like Abraham." <laughs> because if you're familiar with Abraham's story at all, you'll know that go be like Abraham is actually can be a pretty bad idea at times um, because he he's made some pretty critical life errors. He um, he got his wife to lie about not being his wife, which kind of put her in a really precarious situation where she could have been um, abused. And not once, but twice. Um, all to save his own hide. Uh, he ends up taking matters into his own hand when he's like, hey, look, my wife's barren. How are we going to do this thing? He's like, I know, I'm going to have sex with my wife's maidservant. And that is obviously turns into a giant. Disaster, as you can imagine. So the, me- the message isn't, hey, Abraham leaves all he knows to follow God. Go be like Abraham. Here's what the message is God has set his covenant love. And the Hebrew word for, for covenant there is, and it's a super Hebrew sounding word, is where it's hessed with that good Hebrew sound of that. Hesed means steadfast, committed. This is never stopping, never ceasing, always and forever loyal love. It's no matter what you do, you can't screw this up because I've got you. You're my person, love. Right? And God sets that on Abraham. And it's this. What does he set on Abraham? Verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what that means for you and me is not be like Abraham, but be in Abraham's family. Be in Abraham's family. Because when you are in Abraham's family, you are in God's plan. Um, if, if you've ever gone to vacation Bible school, maybe you've, or yeah, what, vacation Bible school? Is that right? Is that how you say that? Um, yeah, that's it. Something like that. Maybe you've sung the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. That's right. But, um, and that is a weird concept. That is a weird concept. Especially for the vast majority of us in this room, I suspect. Because unless you are Jewish or have Jewish background, like you are not a descendant of Abraham. Right? We are what the Jews, or at least most of us, what the Jews in the New Testament called Gentiles. The non-genetic blood children of Abraham. But here's the mystery. And the New Testament uses that word. It uses the word mystery. The mystery of the good news is that God's plan for salvation is that he is going to make sons and daughters of Abraham (laughs) out of people that aren't sons and daughters of Abraham. Because that really wasn't it all all along. And this is actually the big mind-blowing thing (laughs) for a lot of people. Is that it was all about actually being spiritual, spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham by faith, right? By trusting in this covenant promise that God holds up, right? By relying in that I think God is going to do the thing He has promised and He's going to save us, to entering into the faith of Abraham and entering into that. And the thing that means is it actually means that I'm going to be a child of Abraham by faith. It means I'm actually going to have to leave these other kingdoms, these other ideals, these other worldviews, these other schemes of salvation that the world has that I was in. Right? What do you need to leave to step into Abraham's family? Maybe What, what have you left? Some of you have left. Things already. Maybe you've had to leave your parents' expectations for this uber-successful life according to a certain degree and career path. Um, maybe it's that you've literally left just kind of a, a very cultural Christianity um, way of thinking, right? One where, you know, Jesus is around, but he's not in the center. He's not in the middle of who I am and what we're doing and how we're deciding what's right and what's wrong and um, how we're going to engage with the world around us. Maybe you've had to leave that to step into Abraham's family. Um, but you know what? Whether, whether you still need to leave something or if you already have left something, the thing about being in God's plan is that it is actually a lifestyle of leaving. It's a lifestyle of leaving. I mean, when you look at the passage, you see how even when Abraham, he gets to Canaan, he gets to this land where God wants him to go, he's still moving from place to place. And he's being promised, hey, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to remove these enemies. This is going to be for you. This is going to be for your children. It's going to be their kingdom, your kingdom. But it's not theirs yet. And spoiler alert, that it's not going to be theirs Ever in Abraham's lifetime, it's not going to be theirs in his son's lifetime or his son's lifetime. It's going to be a long time. And so their life is just this pilgrim, wandering lifestyle. right? Never quite actually having a home in this world. Always having to leave. Always being on the run, as it were. Roaming around, feeling uncomfortable in this place but actually always in a state of being perfectly at home in God as we wander. Y'all, this is God's plan for your life too. Right? Being constantly in an awkward position in this world. And I think one of the most evident places where where we feel that here at AM and kind m of is in this demand to be just busy. Right? Always busy. And I know some of you are going, eh, I don't know, because I, it's actually the busyness, that's what feels awkward, that's what feels bad. Um, I don't know, though. I don't know. Let me ask you this. What if you actually said no to busyness? Or what if you said, no, I'm leaving busyness, and I'm going to step into a life of, like, just kind of Soberly setting priorities, like locking down, nothing's gonna encroach on fellowship space, nothing's gonna encroach on rest, nothing's gonna encroach on like, getting good night's sleep, eating three square meals a day. Nothing's gonna encroach on me being a healthy, functioning human being. Not even the screaming demands, it. what if you did that? Some of you are like already going, that's impossible. There's no way I can do that. So maybe busyness is the thing that you're being beckoned to leave. Right? What if we're actually being asked to, to leave that and to step into like setting up spaces of, of worship? Right? Like Abraham does. Right? Everywhere he goes, he kind of sets up a little altar here and a little altar there. What if God's asking you to leave busyness and to step into. This a life where, hey, I'm going to prioritize, maybe it's here, maybe even better, maybe it's worship with the local church on Sunday. Um, I'm not going to let anything get in between like me fellowshipping with God's people, right? The place where the Holy Spirit is dwelling. What if we left um, and stepped into something else? And we actually like, looked the busyness monster in the face and said, no, no. I don't want you because there's something promised to me that you can't give, that you can't give something better. So what's that? What is that? What are we being promised? So uh, second, receiving. right? Stepping into God's plan is one of, of receiving. So God who makes this covenant promise to Abraham, and this is sort of the initiation of it because there's a few more scenes where God steps in and further clarifies the covenant and promises uh, contained in it. So what was promised? Uh, there's like a handful of things in here. Uh, a land, a people, a nation that would come from him. A great name. It's a great status, honor, dignity uh, is being promised to him. Protection. God's going to have his back. Um, even that this this worldwide salvation. All the families of the earth are going to somehow uh, be able to find salvation flowing out of Abraham's family. And, so, and just to kind of sum it up, I think God is saying... I am promising me to you, Abraham. I'm promising that I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my person. And your people are going to be my people. We belong to each other now. And so just naturally, organically, just just the blessings of that are yours. Um, What's the quid pro quo? What does God say? Hey, I'll give this to you if and only if you do this to me. Right. What, what did Abraham have to do to earn this? Nothing. Right? Nothing. <laughs> Just be a rank pagan idol worshiper of earth. Right? That was the only resume prerequisite that Abraham brought to the table. That was his resume. And the crazy thing is, I, I don't know if you caught it here in, in the passage, but when the text introduces Abraham's wife, Sarai, uh, she's she's barren. She can't have children. She doesn't have any children. But God's promise is people are going to come from you. Whole nations are going to come from you, Abraham. And so it's going to come from Sarah, this barren woman. And so that just even further accentuates this. The fact that God's plan of salvation is not going to be accomplished by human ability. It's just not. It's going to have to come through supernatural working of God. And really all this, the land, the descendants, the nations, all this stuff, you know what it really is? It's all just one big way. That's pointing away from physical things but pointing directly at spiritual things. Um, In fact, the book of Hebrews, it says this. In uh, the book of Hebrews, New Testament book, it's a long, long time after this, says this about Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And this is, this is key, y'all. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they're always leaving. For people who speak does make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of that land which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Sorry, skip ahead of that. But as it is, they desire a better country. What is this saying what is Abraham about? What is all this stuff about? Is it actually about the land of Canaan? Is it about a real physical land? But as it is, it is our better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking who, hey, what is all this about? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? So, what Abraham shows us is that, okay, what's God's will for our life? What's God's big plan? But I, I've, I've had a ton of conversations. About this very thing. I've had tons of students talk to me over these this the years of trying to discern, hey, what is God's will for my life? How can I know? How can I know God's will for my life? Do you know what God's will for your life is? I'll tell you right here. God's will for your life is that every single day you become more and more convinced of how completely unable you are to save yourself pure blessing, to manufacture flourishing in your life under your power, your schemes, your resources. And, that's his will for your life, and his will for your life is for you to sit in a posture of receiving for free. His salvation, his blessing, his resources, and the eternal security that he is giving you in Jesus. And that doesn't always translate to what is obviously physical and apparent in this world. But it definitely translates to what is forever and eternal. How do you think about God's will for your life? I think sometimes the way people talk about that is it's almost like this. Choose your own adventure story. And God's will for your life is essentially... like. What if I discerned how to choose my own adventure this perfect way to where I maximize all the good things, completely minimize all the bad things? Like that, God's will for my life is like perfectly threading the needle of this choose your own adventure story that I'm in. The good news of the story of the Bible is that you can't choose your own adventure poorly out of God's plan for your life. You can't screw your life up out of God's plan. (laughs) And you definitely can't get your life right into His plan either. And actually the plan is that there is going to be a lot of suffering. There's going to be a lot of wandering around. And there's going to be a lot of, like, this world just does not feel like it's right. And I actually need something beyond it. Right, But even in that, you get to live within more clarity for why it is beautiful that salvation does come from outside of something other than you. And you being able to manufacture it. That real life, real purpose, is actually not in me being caught up in me and figuring out me. It's actually in something better and bigger and more beautiful than me. Right? That God's plan for your life is him. It's his story, and we get to be invited into it. Um, I just wanted to close the semester down with uh, the, C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. This is one of my favorite, um, just little passages of all literature. It's from the story The Last Battle, which is kind of the, the end of the world story, and, um, and the, the children, right, all these, these children, characters from all the stories, are all together and they're with this character, Aslan, and I'll just read that. And so, as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. Right? And this is, he, he's like ushering them up into the, the new heavens and the new earth of Narnia. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one Friends, to send us an invitation to step into that story. Let's pray. Lord, you were good, you were kind, and your story um, is so much better than our story. Your story is so much better um, than, than the like half-cocked ones that we have rattling around in our head and the ones that, that just drag us around in all kinds of different directions. Your story is pure. Your story is good. Your story is one um, where where there's actually going to be a lot of suffering on the road of it. But out on the other end of it is glory and winning and vindication and being made whole and pure because your story is Jesus. And when we step into your story. When we leave behind actually trying to write our own, and we just receive this one, we get that. We get to be made new. And you actually write us into yourself. Lord, I pray um, that that would be the story of all of us in this room tonight. And it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank y'all so much for listening, and we hope to see y'all around sometime.